Welcome to the Insider's Guide to Finance, where we dive into stories from the front lines of financing public and private companies. I host seasoned CEOs, fund managers, bankers, brokers, and business experts who will answer your questions about how to properly engage investors, finance opportunities, and build outstanding success stories. We dig into the educational how-tos and mechanics of structuring good deals. You'll also hear about strokes of luck, tense negotiations, and the pressures of closing, while also getting insights on how to best navigate the public markets. Welcome back to the Insider's Guide to Finance. In today's episode, we speak with Kim Furlong, CEO of the Canadian Venture Capital and Private Equity Association. Kim is leading a team at the CVCA who are on a mission, a mission to advocate for the growth of venture capital and private equity in Canada. Their work is compelled by a belief that private capital investments are vital to our economy, and I couldn't agree more. Take, for example, taxation as it applies to capital gains. If no one is communicating the needs of the venture capital and private equity industries to the government, then we may find ourselves with punitive tax measures that would undermine the potential of our country. For many of our listeners, I know I'll be preaching to the converted here, but their work is critically important to helping Canada build and maintain its position in the world as a place of innovation and productivity. The good news is that it's actually working. Kim shares some actual examples of how Canadian companies are increasingly benefiting from venture capital and private equity and growing into success stories that are globally recognized. And before we get started, I'm happy to host this episode with the support of Olympia Trust Company. Olympia is an outstanding provider of transfer agent and corporate trustee services and has also been a supporting member or part of the Canadian capital markets for well over 20 years. I can speak from experience that the team strives to deliver on their promise of making it personal. So thanks again to the team at Olympia Trust Company, and I encourage you to reach out to them anytime. You can find their contact information in our show notes. Now enjoy the show. On the line, I have Kim Furlong, who is the CEO of the Canadian Venture Capital and Private Equity Association. Kim, thanks so much for making the time. Super glad to be here, Corey. Looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, let's start with uh, a brief introduction about yourself and we'll set the groundwork for the rest of our conversation. Great. Well, I, I, as you said in the intro, I'm the CEO of the CDCA, the Canadian Venture Capital and Private Equity Association. I've been in that role for almost two years. I'm the first woman to occupy that position. I was approached by the outgoing CEO, Mike Willett, who is a friend who is someone that I, I got to know when we both worked in politics federally in Ottawa. And as he was planning to leave CVCA, he asked, would I consider uh, the role? For many who look at my bio, it may seem strange to have someone come into the role that didn't spend that much time with venture and private equity prior to my arrival in this position. Uh, just to give you a sense of what I've done to prepare me for this uh, for this role, uh, I have a master's in trade policy from NIPSIA, the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University, uh, focused on on trade disputes, Chapter 11, mostly of NAFTA. Spent time in government federally at the foreign affairs and international trade as an official, and then pivoted midway through my career in the uh, public service to become a political. Aid. I served two ministers, Jim Peterson at International Trade as a policy advisor and Pierre Pettigrew as our international 
Affairs Minister as his Director of Communication. When Stephen Harper won the election, I left politics and worked for the tra a trade association, which is similar to what CVCA is. We serve members. I worked for the Retail Council of Canada and opened their Ottawa office and did that for a few years until I left and, and worked for Amgen, which I spent a decade working for Amgen, which is the largest independent biotech company in the world based out of California. But my role was uh, leading external affairs for Canada. And in many ways, the different, the different experience that I had had in my career, be it as an official, be it as a political aide, opening a, a branch of a trade association and spending a decade in a, in a corporate setting that adds some dealings with venture, uh, gave me the different, the different tools that I would require to take on this role and lead this team. And it's been super exciting and a, a roller coaster and an education uh, that I'm, I'm truly enjoying. I appreciate the roller coaster. It seems the world that venture definitely is. So congrats to to taking on the position and, and nearing the second year. And what I want to ask is associations are interesting things, but why does a CVCA exist? And and I know you do important work, but tell us more about that. The CVCA exists to be the voice and the representative of the sector. We we represent private capital from early stage seed venture to, you know, buyouts and late stage funding in the private equity space. We speak on their behalf to government. We do a lot of advocacy work. We bring people together, especially in the venture space. That's another one of our mandate to create uh, opportunities to people for network because they co-invest fairly heavily. And those relationships basically is the bloodline of how they work together to identify companies that they will they will grow together and then even pass the baton to the to the next level of VC. And to a certain extent, we're even seeing the line blur between venture, late stage venture and PE growth. So we bring people together, we connect them. We have an education mandate last year. We launched our first private capital investment school program with the Ivy School of Business. And finally, we report on all the transactions on a quarterly basis that take place in Canada for both VC and PE. And we spend time with media talking about what's going on in, in our space. And I like to think that we are in a moment where the private equity and venture capital spaces in Canada are maturing and we will have a tremendous role to play in Canada's economic recovery, but not only even recovery, reimagining what the economy should be post-COVID. Hmm. It does play in a very important role. I think that the world of, of venture capital and PE, I mean, that's that's what fuels innovation. I also have to say that on the website, when I was doing my research for our interview, I was just so surprised and, and really just appreciative of the amount of information that you have there. So it's, it's quite interesting. What I'd like you to do, though, is explain the differences as you see and distinguish between venture capital from private equity. And there is a point there that, yes, we, we start to see the lines blurring, but how do you view it and what, what's happening in Canada right now? Well, I like to think that our, our members support entrepreneurs from the moment you're in your basement and in your house, like, and you you think of an idea and you think I'm going to start a company and you're looking for very early checks to get you going to, you know, you've built a very successful company. 
uh, you've landed at a point where retirement is in the horizon and you want to take some chips off the table and you're looking for a partner and continuing to grow the company, but also allowing you to take a step back. And that is what private equity does. And from the very early to the, the buyouts and when my counterparts in Europe, it's interesting, use private equity to describe both venture and private equity, and they don't differentiate. And in Canada, we we spend a lot of time differentiating between the two. And I would say that what we call private equity in Canada is when, when there's a complete buyout, where the capital becomes the investor, even though they're not necessarily the operator. And most of my private equity members, if not all, would say, if we're looking to invest in a company in the private equity space and the CEO or the management team are looking like they want to exit or they're looking at the door, then we don't invest because it's really a partnership. They're coming in with a strategic vision with capital. They're sitting down with that management team and that CEO and looking at ways to grow the company. And there's so much that's happening in that space, Corey. It's super exciting, as well as in the venture capital space in terms of the numbers and the success that we're seeing. It's very exciting time to be in that space for the investors and for me to be their spokesperson. Yeah, I think it can be an exciting time, but I also saw some charts on uh, one of the pieces or the the educational pieces you had on the website there. And can we talk a bit about numbers? Because with the CBCA, you do a lot of research and what what's happening now and what's coming up? What will you be publishing? What are the insights you can tell us about right now? Well, at the time that we're having this conversation, because I know there'll be a bit of a gap between when we speak and when this airs, we were getting ready to publish our Q3 data, which will be actually tomorrow. And let me take a step back. When CVCA began collecting data, that would have been in 2013 when we decided to bring that uh, function in-house. We were reporting on venture capital $1.3 billion dollars in that full year. If you fast forward to last year, which is the full, the last full complete year that we disclosed, we went from $1.3 billion to $6.2 billion invested in venture, which is a phenomenal yeah. growth in the dollars. And, and when, when your listeners think about what does that mean, $6.2 billion went to Canadian entrepreneurs. It went to businesses that are VCs invested in, and they do invest in the U.S. So let's say it went to entrepreneurs, but a large portion of it went to Canadian entrepreneurs. And so far this year, Q1 was was almost a billion dollars at 932. We had just over a billion or actually almost 2 billion in Q2, 1.7. And I qualified that quarter as being one that add our GPs or general partners or VCs really recapitalize a lot of the companies in their portfolio that they thought had a really good chance of growing amidst the the pandemic and the reality that we're facing. And then the BDC and EDC matching programs that incited like our GPs to put more money to work. So the first half of the year was actually really strong. And then what we will be reporting tomorrow is actually a lower quarter, a fairly significant lower quarter, especially compared to last year, which was a, a stellar year at $891 million for Q3, which is 63% lower than what we saw last year. So 
thinking about what that means and thinking about the the latter part of 2020, we're seeing kind of an adjustment to the realities of COVID. We're also seeing a really high high trend uh, in terms of valuation. There's capital out there that needs to be allocated. There's some companies that are really hot and we're seeing people's willingness to pay more for those rounds. And in that instance, maybe you see a little bit less activity when it costs you more to put money to work. Hmm. What a just an interesting dynamic with everything coming together. And one, I mean, it's phenomenal to hear about the amount of money that's now being invested in in Canadian innovation in early stages. And that's really like, <laughs> it's heartwarming. I mean, that's fantastic. When you bring in COVID to play, and as you say, like the, the realities are starting to starting to show and and the amount of capital that is now stepping back from investing as i understand 63% lower that's that's a, a pretty telling number any deeper insights on that and and really you know is there anything we can look forward to or that we should be keeping an eye on from the data that you have there well there there's a number of things at the end of the day around exists because a company requires the capital to grow and there's there's something that can be said to in Q3 of 2020, there were a number of companies that were looking for some, what we call mega rounds, anything that's in the hundreds of millions of dollars. And this year, we only had a few so far mega rounds. Last year, and, and we should probably talk about like the regional realities of building this. Last year, we had a 500 and some 20 some million dollar round that went to Verifin, a wow. company based out of Newfoundland. <laughs> that does fintech and fraud detection. Now, last week, or earlier this week, Verifin was sold, like there was an exit, and it sold for $3.25 billion Canadian to the NASDAQ. And think about that for a minute. Like, let's let's repeat that. So last year, they had a growth round of $500 million. They were the deal of the year for CVCA in terms of venture. They were in a really strong growth path and in the last few days, they were acquired for $3.25 billion Canadian. And they grew that company, seeded it and grew it in Newfoundland. That's amazing. You, it just tells you you can build it anywhere. If you have the foresight, if you have the, you know, as an entrepreneur, if you have it in you to grow it, which we see more and more in Canada. And I think when you look at the deals last year and when you looked at the uh, the size of rounds, it's also a signal that our Canadian entrepreneurs are staying the course. They used to sell earlier and now they're thinking, you know what, Canada is a great place to build a country. And if the capital is there to, to accompany me in my growth journey, uh, we'll stay the course. And we're seeing more of that. And it's just a fabulous thing to look and, and be a privy to. That's, I mean, that's really good to hear because in, in other interviews I've done, it seems that the venture capitalists and the angels who have interviewed, they, they almost lament the fact that the U.S. is looks upon Canada as a bit of a, you know, a farm team for being able to pick off good deals, or the other way around, in the sense that in Canada, when you know, you can almost argue that every time somebody comes up with a, an amazing idea, five or ten other people have the same idea and are pursuing financing as well. And if eight of those people are in the U.S., they're able to raise not 500,000, but perhaps 5 million, giving them that much more ability to advance the project and invest in sales and marketing. And so that really hurts the Canadian venture ecosystem. But it sounds like that's starting to change. 
Yeah, well, the U.S. plays in the Canadian market as well, but I also think that our VC, our, our GPs are becoming more mature and are developing relationship where they'll invite their U.S. counterpart to play and, and co-invest with them and they get the, uh, the reciprocity of being brought into U.S. deals. There's ICT definitely dominates and we've proven to have the talent, our universities, our engineers, like we're pushing out people that have the wherewithal to, to create and grow these companies. We still have some issues when it comes to the C-suite generally, head of marketing, CEO, CFO, like that talent and pool in the U.S. of having gone through that growth phase in terms of, of recruiting someone that will anticipate what it takes. Because starting a company is one thing, anticipating the needs that a company requires in a really rapid growth transition is you're on you're definitely on that on a roller coaster ride, and you need mm. to be prepared to to what you need to uh, to grow quickly, which. Now, for for people that, you know, just to give a little bit more insight, when you do decide that you're going to get venture funding, you've agreed with your venture partner that you're going to have a really strong growth trajectory. Mm -hmm. This is not a, you know, this is going to take me 30 years to grow this company. Like Thanks you're for your uh, 50 million bucks. I'm, I'm now <laughs> on a nice little lifestyle business, you know. Yeah, no, no, this is not a lifestyle business. This is definitely, and I'm, I'm asked a lot about from people that are entrepreneurs around how do you how do you select a venture capital a firm to to work with well you you look at you know everyone has their verticals everyone has their specialty some people do platforms some people do only SaaS some people do only life sciences clean tech fintech you know identify which space you're in and then build that relationship and get to know the person because this is not just you going to the bank and getting a loan like you're you're agreeing to a relationship with that person in a very personal relationship because the decisions will be taken together and they'll be on your board. They'll be very invested and interested in what you're doing. And you need to choose someone that has the same strategic vision, that has the same aspiration and you understand the expectations on both sides. So doing your due diligence uh, is important. Absolutely. And to, you know, I, I joke around that it's easier to get divorced from your spouse than it is from your VC. <laughs> probably, probably. So actually, you know, let's, let's jump ahead because a question I had is how can entrepreneurs leverage the, the resources and, and the work you do at the CVCA? Well, we, we are an organization that represents GPs and we do interact with entrepreneurs, but not as much as people would expect. Like we spend a lot of time with limited partners and general partners and 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 speak to to them mostly. I would say we have a lot of resources in terms of our website and what we produce, as you alluded to earlier, in terms of research and and just we, in a normal time, Corey, would have events where people can actually attend and get to know people. And mm. and I'll go back to that element of getting to know people. When you're an entrepreneur and you're you're building a company and you're thinking, okay, I'm going to go get some financing. A lot of time, you you're you're fine tuning your pitch. You're working on that deck. You're you're really you're focusing on what you can control in terms of your storyline and your narrative as what you're trying to build. But that relationship with the person who could potentially fund you 
and a number of people that could potentially fund you should begin well before you're fine-tuning your pitch deck. And they they should kind of know you loosely, like building a relationship where you give just a little bit of information to keep people up to speed in terms of what you're, you're growing. And you build that rapport where when it's time to pitch, it's not a cold pitch. And it takes a lot of work. Like this is not an easy, like, you know, just you need to invest the time in building your network if you have it in your blood to be a serial entrepreneur, which is what many of our our VC members end up supporting, people that do this over and over again and get a lot of tremendous satisfaction in in building and starting again from the ground and building up. Uh, Those relationships are what are going to enable you. So I would say when we do go back to doing in-person events and if you if you're willing to do this now like you can you can identify our members very easily on our website and in terms of which verticals they and then reach out to them follow them on on social media be known to them and I I'll close by saying and less is more just give them a little bit of insight on what you're working on. Like don't inundate them from the first pitch or the first interaction in terms of everything that you're doing, like get to know people. And then based on those relationships, hammer out how you guys can work together. Uh, In episode 66 with a gentleman named Jason Tan, uh, who's got a startup out of the Valley there. uh, He he gave some great advice about engaging venture capitalists in the sense that not one of them needs another coffee meeting. They're fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But if you can provide something that feeds their interest in a space they're interested in, just to say, you know, hey, I want to reach out. You know, we may be coming for funding in the future, but I just thought I'd share something that's really applicable to the space you're focused in and has been impactful on our business. You know, just sharing like that tidbit of information to feed their curiosity yeah. can be enough to get you a little bit of light onto who you are so you can eventually build into that relationship. And that's a hell of a lot more effective than saying, let's go for some caffeine. Yes. Or a long email that describes everything that you've done and how like if they don't invest in you, they're going to be missing out on the deal because chances are the hook is not there, right? It's Mm. too much. Yeah. I I get those in my LinkedIn and I'm just like, clearly you don't know what I do. (laughs) I get those too. And they don't know that I have no dollars under management. So uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe this podcast will clarify that for both of us, uh, Corey. Yeah, yeah, hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> so let's get back to the CVCA and, and the work you're doing for your GPs and the LPs in, in the Canadian VC space. What issues are top of mind and how are they impacting the markets, private equity markets and the capital markets? If I think about what is important to our members and what we try to communicate to decision makers, I would say the number one issue would be having a competitive tax regime and an environment in which to build and grow companies that is competitive. And that is by far what most people think about and care about when it's time to to go around the table, either at my board or with my members, taxes and competitiveness tops the list every time. Number two would probably be talent. How do we as as an industry make sure that we nurture talent, that we attract talent, not only within private capital and in our firms, but in the companies that our members invest in. Immigration, CVCA works with the Government of Canada on the Startup Venture Program, where we enable VCs to bring startups from across the world to build their companies in Canada. And I would say ensuring that there's more capital in, that flows to Canada in, in a regular time. Again, I, I used to spend some time internationally in the U.S. mostly. 
talking to LPs and, and showcasing how Canada is a great place to invest. And we'll be doing some creative work this year to showcase our GPs internationally with the help of the Canadian government through the Trade Commissioner Service and putting really at the forefront the, the performance that we're seeing in Canada from investors and the companies that we support. So those would be the, the issues that are really top of mind. It's interesting. I mean, obviously, taxes are a major thing. And if you were to look at Vancouver and British Columbia with the tax regime they have for the movie industry, it's played out wonderfully well for them. I mean, they call it Hollywood North because it really is Hollywood North. But I think that has a lot to do with the tax regime they set up there. What, as top of mind there, you know, can you expand on that? Where is that going? What in your advocacy to the government should we be keeping our eyes open for anything or what's happening? Well, the capital gains globally is on the political table. We hear it. If you if you read the Financial Times, you would see that the issue comes up. If you were following the Democratic race for leadership, uh, you would have known that private equity, that capital gains, that wealth taxes are, are being debated. Same thing in New Zealand and Australia. So Canada is no no stranger to that. And we're very mindful that the government will have spent a lot of dollars keeping our economy afloat during COVID. And to me, it's it's having that conversation to make sure that when they do think about some of the remedies to replenish the coffers federally, that they do so in a way that does not actually become detrimental to Canada's economic growth. I see both private equity and venture and the risk that our members take and the timelines that they commit to in order to have a return as being something that needs to be considered and valued when when you think about taxing. And those are conversations that I I have a lot. I I used to spend, as you know, a lot of time in Ottawa. I lived there for many years and, and worked on Parliament Hill. And speaking to government, they value the innovation space. I'm going to spend a lot more time this year speaking to them about private equity. And I'd love to talk to you before the end of our conversation about the work that we're doing to showcase the importance of private equity. But all around making sure that whatever they do, they do with a very strong understanding of our sector is my number one priority. Well, if we're in the US, we'd call you a lobbyist, wouldn't we? Well, that's, that's a bad word in some, <laughs> but you know what? I'll take it because a lobbyist is just someone that explains to policymakers uh, their point of view and makes an argument for it and nothing less. So if that's that's what I am, then I'll take it gladly. Yeah, no, I am an absolute supporter of free markets and of, of the innovation that comes from investment. And, and I think that it's a, a conversation that we all need to have and to shed more light on it, that capital gains aren't fodder for the devil, if you will. Like it's it's absolutely needed in our economy. So I'm, I'm very happy to hear you doing that. And yeah, we won't call you a lobbyist anymore. We'll just call you an association. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing I want to dive into here, and, and I, I really encourage listeners to go and check out the CBCA website, because you do produce some really good content that I think is is interesting, both for the GPs, the general partners, and the LPs out there who you really speak to, but also for entrepreneurs. And some of them, for example, I came across some videos. One was the 2008 financial crisis versus the 2020 COVID fallout. Uh, You interviewed a gentleman there. I'm sorry, I don't remember his name, but what were your takeaways from that interview? 
Yeah, so Mark Usher and I, who was my outgoing chair, who's at CIBC now, does venture debt. We sat down a number of weeks ago to talk about uh, the difference between the two. Uh, let's call them crisis, even though the conclusion of that conversation for anyone who wants the Coles notes is that it was very different. That 2008 and the way the correction in, in the market was different. It was a very tailored and focused on financial markets. What we're seeing in COVID is much different in terms of the, the span, the, the reach that it has, how every country in the world, no matter where you are, is impacted. While you know, Canada did very well in 2008, given the regulations that were attached to our financial services. Mm -hmm. But more than that, Corey, I think the big difference between the two is how governments reacted to it. And I think there will be some lesson learned in the US in terms of how much capital was deployed early on within COVID to mitigate the impact of the downturn and, and shutting down your basically your economy. And globally, uh, governments are very much aligned on the need to act rapidly, to be bold in, in how much they deployed and to also stay the course. And Krista Freeland, our new federal finance minister, spoke out on that willingness to stay the course because the, the cost of inaction or the cost of, of retreating too early could actually be more costly than just staying and just deploying what's required to get us through the storm. Interesting. The next one that was on there, and this has always been of interest to me, is cybersecurity. And I couldn't tell you why I'm fascinated by it, but managing cybersecurity risk is the name of the video there. You interviewed a, a panel there talking about how it applies to the VC and private equity industries. What were your takeaways from that interview? I think the takeaways that anyone who's thinking about cyber should be whenever you think you're prepared, you're not really prepared. It evolves. It is a business. The ransoms and ransomware and people are targeting your data. The main thing that came out of that conversation with our panel is you have to treat it as a business. And most people that will take ransom of your data and ask you to pay to get access back to your, your database and, and your files will actually give it back to you like during the business. And they it was interesting saying that they actually have a reputation to maintain. So in thinking about those threats, every organization and for our VCs and PEs, as organization themselves, they have to be prepared, but as they're building their companies and assisting them in their growth, they have to be very mindful, especially 60% of all of VC dollars goes into ICT, information technology. You really need to have at the tip of your finger what those threats are and being able to counsel and, and be strategic as you're building companies and, and protect as much as you can protect against the environment that's always evolving. You know, it just comes to mind as we're sitting on a Zoom call here, how the issues they ran into when they became very much, you know, the, the tool of choice, but it also attracted a lot of, I think, cybersecurity issues and cyber criminals who were playing with the system there and, you know, probably weren't expecting that. And then I've also heard that it's like pretty much with cybersecurity, it's not if, but when, uh, yeah. whether it be personal or for a company. So definitely something we've got to keep in mind. It really is the reality of all of us working from home 
and the kinds of conversation and the things that are happening online have made our organizations and us more at risk. And the conclusion is that most of the time, the threats is individual knowledge of what's a phishing email, what you should click on. And, and just for people to really stay attuned and abreast of what's going on out there so that as soon as your spidey senses say, like, this kind of looks real, but it's, it makes me think that maybe it's not to listen to those spidey senses and treat that, those emails. Don't, don't click too readily is the lesson, the lesson here. We'll take that down. I I think the next question is, let's look into the future. And with the world of private equity and venture capital investing, what should we be looking out for? How is the industry going to change in the years to come? And are, are there things that are hot button issues? And are there things that are aspirational that we should be aware of? Well, and when I think about the Canadian landscape, I think we are just beginning a journey of growth. Uh, this industry is fairly young when you look at other markets, both the venture and private equity. Our, our private equity members, 65% of all checks that they write are under $25 million. Uh, They support a lot of small, medium-sized enterprise. Uh, you see some big checks. What we've seen in the last few years is more growth equity, growth equity, like funds that are raised within private equity firms. And are we going to see a, uh, a growth in terms of the dollars under management, the assets under management that they have and the, the reach? Our institutional investors already are the calling card for Canada. Like they, they're world renowned, their names and their reputation precedes them. So we, we have a lot to, to look forward to in terms of being able to grow that segment. And in terms of the venture, it's really the quality of companies that we seed and the dollars that flow to it. I always think we need to be very mindful of the the early stage because if you don't feed the pipeline, there will be nothing to grow later on. So the conversations I have is just let's keep doing the work. Let's make sure that there's enough capital. I uh, I spent a lot of time since July talking to the federal government about the need to stay the course. They've been engaged with the venture space with both the VCAP and the Viki, two programs that put government dollars at work and leverage if you take VCAP for an example, 300 million that was turned into 1.3 billion because other investors were brought in to deploy that capital, doing another one. And just and the reason why we ask, it, the, the government gets its money back. So this is not a subsidy. It's, a, it's an investment on their part. It's important because if, they, if they're invested into the space, their policies will also flow from that. And when, when I think of the future and when I think of the vision for what Canada should be is all of us working together to make sure that we use this capital to grow our economy, to grow our companies, to invest abroad and, and regain, reap the benefits of these investments abroad and really grow our capital, private capital space to a point that we are extremely competitive globally not only in our in our institutional investor space, but as PE and VC investors that we're seen as being world leaders when it comes to, to deploying the capital and growing companies. That's really great to hear, taking and actually having government step in. And it sounds like in a very appropriate way and, and helping take what was 300 million into 1.3 billion and having that allocated out through through the industry to me is, is that's very promising. And it sounds like a high point. <laughs> As we're wrapping up on time here, I, I want to ask just final thoughts for the for the listeners. And 
about you and CVCA? What can you leave us with? We've had a, a fabulous two years since I've been there. I think if you think about following us next year, this program that we had with the IV School of Business, CPCIS, Anyone that is listening and thinking this is a really interesting space and I'm already in the financial space, but I'm not, I don't have the knowledge or the insights as to, you know, what it means to do diligence and valuations and how do I become an investor? We run two streams, one that's VC, one that's PE, and it's open to anyone. We we created it really to, to shape the rising stars within the organizations of our membership so that, you know, the, the young talent would be exposed to the most senior brass of the industry. And we're, we're hoping that through the networking effect that the, the cohorts that we will be training will be tomorrow's, you know, partners within those, those firms. But last year when we launched the program, we had people from outside of our industry join us. So I would say, keep an eye on that. Look at our website and, and, and see how you can join if that, that's of interest. And we will be doing our big conference, IC21 in June. It will be virtual again. We'll be doing a showcase nationally and really celebrating the different ecosystems across the country and bringing people in and zooming people in from the different corners of our country. and and a celebration of what we've accomplished and people can also join that. And I would welcome anyone who wants to connect with me, both either on LinkedIn or Twitter and follow CVCA on our social media platforms. As you said, Corey, we push out a lot of content and that may be a good way for you to just get a nod that there's something out there that may attract your attention and and be of interest to you. Well, that's great, Kim. Thank you so much for taking the time. No, you're welcome. I really enjoyed our chat. Thanks for having me, Corey. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Insider's Guide to Finance. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share this with your friends and colleagues so they can benefit as well. You can also subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Play Store. Your support there is really appreciated. For future episodes, if there's a question, topic, or specific person you'd like me to interview, feel free to reach out. You can connect with me on LinkedIn or through my website at creativereturn.ca.